0: Nice to have you with us this morning. And if you're here for the first time, then you're an honored guest. I do hope that you'll fill out the card. Uh, It kind of looks something like this so that we get get some details and we're able to kind of keep in touch with you and make sure that you are connected to us. People will keep coming through. Don't worry about that. Let's look into God's Word this morning. I want to welcome those of you who are online with us in different parts of India and around the world. And uh, those of brothers and sisters in Noida, may the Lord bless you and may His presence be with you. Uh, before, through, and after the service. And as you meet with each other and pray with each other, may the Lord really bless you for that. Can I ask you a question? Has Has success made you complacent? Each and every one of us is very successful in what we do. We have seen some great blessing. Yes? No? Hallelujah. We've seen some great blessing. We've seen some accomplishments. And I have the, the joy of serving a, a community and a congregation of people that are highly educated, highly accomplished. But then the question arises, has success made you complacent? It's a dangerous place to be when everything is going well. I repeat, it's a dangerous place to be when everything is going well. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 is that on the screen Look at those beautiful words Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he says therefore let anyone who thinks say it that he stands let anyone who thinks that he stands let him take heed let him be careful let him mark it lest he fall because he'll fall because he's standing he'll fall because he thinks he's standing Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 again the author of Hebrews says take care brothers and when the Bible says something like that you ought to mark it you ought to highlight and just stop and think take care brothers why lest there be in any of you not the English there and the breakdown of the words lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart you're like no me never never no." An evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. It begins with just that moment when you begin to think, I can handle this. I can handle this. The things are going to be okay. I think I'm on a run here. I think I'm on a roll here. I think everything's just going to stay the way it is and everything's going to be fine. And when you go that into that mindset, when you begin to think like that, you lead, it leads you away and you fall away from the living God. How do you get yourself into a sticky mess that sometimes we find ourselves in? How do you get there? I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. Are you getting where I'm going with this? I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to help us understand that it, nothing happens overnight. You don't suddenly just fall in. There's always a small step, a small thought, a small direction that we pick. And then we find ourselves in a sticky mess that we sometimes find. And do you see it coming? Can you see it coming? Can you, can you see the signs? Can you figure out the, the warning signals, the red flags? Can you avoid the pitfalls? Today, we're going to learn some hard lessons from Joshua and the Gibeonites. Say Gibeonites. Not Gideon. That's Gibeon. Okay, there's another guy. Gibeonites, that was another tribe. And whenever it ends with ites, it's usually a family. It's like a whole tribe. Yeah? Gibeonites. And Joshua is triumphing. He's doing great. God is keeping his word. God said, you be bold and Courageous. No matter what, you be bold and courageous. And I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. I will go ahead of you and I will make your path straight. And I will give you victory and even greater things I will do through you, Joshua. So Josh is on a roll here. Everything's going great. He says, I will give you success. Just be strong and so josh is triumphing through the land and we've got all of these three different areas around uh, where the where the israelites are camped and you've got the kings of the north you've got the canaanites and you've got those all the way up to lebanon and there are a bunch of kings that got together and they decided we're going to ally and we're going to fight joshua we're going to fight joshua but we don't even look at that but there's another group and don't miss this so you've got a bunch of kings that are all getting together and what are they going to do? They're going to ally together and they're going to they're join forces and fight Joshua. They're going to fight Joshua. But Gibeon, but Gibeon comes up with another plan. Is everybody with me? Are some of you still home? Is the gas on? It is now. So you've got the frightened kings, they're grouped up together, three geographical areas, uh, those from the hill country of central Palestine, you've got the western foothills, valleys and lowlands and then you've got the coastal plain stretching all the way north to Lebanon. The fact that all of them are running scared, the fact that they're allying together should tell you how strong Joshua had become in that place. And that they were all coming up with a counter plan, and the backbone of Canaan was being broken as Joshua was, uh, you know, plund- plundering through that land. Chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. The Canaanite Confederacy finds an interesting diplomacy by Gibeon as he, as he decides to come up with another plan, another way of dealing with Joshua. Okay? The Gibeonites risk peace, not war. They risk peace, not war. Some would risk war going against Joshua. But they risk peace. So this is what they did. And he says, unfortunately, though they feared God. Interesting words. Unfortunately, though they feared God, they did not opt for a third solution, which you would remember was Rahab's solution. Okay? By now you would have picked up, there's three options. There is one is the kings who want to fight God. They want to fight God's people and they want to take it on. They're allied together, take Joshua on. Then there is those who want to make peace, they want to make peace, they don't want to submit to God, they want to make peace, they just want things to be okay, and then there's the third option, which is Rahab's option, where Rahab decides, you know what, your God is a true and living God, and I want peace with that God. Would you fight on our behalf? Would you appeal to your God on our behalf? He's angry, he's plundering through the land, but we want to get right with God. And Rahab not only is redeemed, she's brought into the very lineage of the Lord Jesus. so from verse 3 to 13 you have this Gibeon, Gibeonite deception so the Gibeonites decided we're going to trick these fellows this is what they do they get together send a few people a delegation with donkeys and load the donkeys with worn out sacks old wineskins cracked and mended worn out patches and patched sandals on their feet all clothes the bread is dry and moldy and then he come to Joshua and says we have come from a very long distance we have traveled see how tired everybody is see see how tired look at the bread look at the bread when we Left, it was fresh out of the oven. Look at the bread, it's all moldy and everything. Now, look at the sandals, look at the wineskins. When, when we began, it was like all full and it was really yummy and everything, and now it's all dilapidated. We have come from a far distance and we have come to make peace with you because we have heard about what God is doing through you and how God is fighting for you. We have come from a distant land to make a treaty with us. There is nothing wrong with a treaty, by the way, because it, either you go to war. Or you make peace. Nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, verse 14 and 15. They sampled the provision. <laughs> they look at the bread. They, I don't even want to eat, eat that moldy bread. I don't know why they checked that out. But they sampled the provision. But they did not inquire of the Lord. Do you see a problem here? They did not inquire of the Lord. How bad could it be? I mean, poor chaps. They've come from a long distance. They're tired. This is the time to show grace. This is the time to be nice. This is the time to be tolerant. Let's bring them in. Let's take care of them. We didn't inquire of the Lord. Didn't ask God, do we want this? Should we go in this direction? Who are these people? I stopped and I stared at that verse. I stared at that one line. But they did not inquire of the Lord. What does Joshua do? He goes and he makes a treaty. He goes and makes a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And then, to add to what Joshua did as the commander-in-chief, as the army guy, as the one who was making a peace treaty with another, what the leaders did was they then sealed it with an oath. And that was totally unnecessary they went and jumped in deeper into a greater deeper relationship with these guys because Joshua said okay fine at this point we're not going to fight no problem peace treaty let's sign a peace agreement no problem but the leaders went one step further and says we will never go to war with you we will in fact we will protect you and you can live among us oh how benevolent oh how gracious oh wonderful oh this is what life should be like this is tolerance. And it all comes out of that mindset where you have stopped inquiring of the Lord and you think you can figure it out. This is what Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Lean not on your own answer. Is God saying that you're you're a fool? Is God saying that you don't have the wisdom to do life? Is God saying that you don't have basic sense and normal, you know, wisdom to kind of handle life? No, He's not saying that. He's saying your life and everything that you are doing is fine for you. But what God is trying to do through you, what God wants to do in your life, how the blessing that He wants, where He is taking you, the purposes He has for you, you're going to need His vision. You're going to need his eyesight. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Ecclesiastes 1.14, 14 says, The wise man has eyes in his heart. He sees with his heart. God gives that revelation to be able to see what your physical eyes cannot see. And you get that perspective god's word is what gives you that perspective in all your ways acknowledge him not some of your ways not the ways that you think are difficult and you'll handle the rest in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight what does that mean if your path's crooked you're going to trip you're going to fall you're going to make silly mistakes and you're going to fall, find yourself flat on your face god doesn't want you to be embarrassed God does not want you in a sticky situation. He does not want you in a mess where you begin to think that he has left you. Psalm 119 verse 110 says, The wicked have laid a snare for me. See that? The wicked have laid a snare for me. You think everybody's a friend. Why? Oh, the bread is moldy. They seem to have come a long way this is not a time for judgment and intolerance this is a time for love and peace okay the wicked have laid a snare for me but i do not stray from your say it precepts so snare precepts what's going to keep you from the snare Precepts. Another word for precepts is the Word. The Word of God. The Word of God is what's going to give you that edge. It's going to give you that wisdom. Go to the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says, let the Word of Christ do what? Let it dwell in you somewhat. Richly. Let it dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing. Admonishing means correction. Teaching means instruction. Teaching and admonishing who? Who? One another. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? So everyone's thinking, no, I go to the Bible and the Bible teaches me and I obey the Bible. The relationship is between the Bible and me. uh, 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 uh. The relationship is between you and me and the Bible instructs us to be able to instruct each other. Do you get that? Do you get that? That's why I have been harping on small groups, harping on spiritual relationships, harping on spiritual friendships to saying you need people, you need people, you need people. Why? Because it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Now what are you going to teach and admonish one another with? Number one, with all wisdom, singing psalms, singing hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart there's a beautiful loving way in which we encourage one another build one another up and deal with one another it is the word of God that gives you that edge so that you have vision beyond your eyesight verse 16 says and they were conned they were thoroughly conned three days later Josh figures out Joshua figures out this whole thing and he says what they are from the neighborhood they're down the street they're from Lajbat they're not from Jaipur they're from Lajbat what nonsense! How did this happen to us? So the Israelites sent out, set out to Gibeon, Kephirath, Beeroth, and Kiriat Jerem. If I didn't get that right, I don't care. Okay, the Israelites set out to these places, four cities, but the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders had made an oath. Now they're stuck. Now they're in a sticky situation. Now they can't take out the people that God long time ago said take out. Now they're in a sticky situation because they can't obey God now. Sometimes it becomes too late to obey God. Sometimes it becomes too late to get Because if you don't obey on time, later on you find yourself with two goods or two bads. And now you don't know what to do and you don't know what is Right? But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders had made an oath. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but what to do? They made an oath. So you've got three sets of people. You've got Joshua, right? And then you've got the leaders, and then you've got the assembly. And Joshua turns around and says, what? They're from another. they're from down the street. The leaders have gone and made an oath. Now they can't attack, they can't tell Joshua, go ahead, we have decided that you can do this. And then the people are now grumbling with the leaders, and the whole thing's a mess. The whole thing's a mess. Why? Because they did not inquire of the Lord. Because they got cocky, they got complacent, they got to a place where they thought they were okay. Verse 20 then says, they made a compromise with these people. and, and, And I want you to note those three words. It's a very interesting word and I want you to take it back to your own life and ask whether you have done this. In fact, all of us have done it, but where have you done this? This is what we will do. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us. For breaking the oath. Now they have to let them live because God will be more angry with the oath than with angry with not having done away with them in the first place. We will let them live. Next verse, we will let them live but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in service to the whole assembly. Twice over they use the word, we will let them live. So the very thing that God said, no, this will not happen. They are saying, no, no. No, no, God, rethink this. We're going to let it happen. And not only are we going to let them live, we're going to let them live among us. But you know what? We, we'll we trick them this time. We, you know, we'll make them woodcutters. We'll make them water carriers. So every, every woodcutter and water carrier who was just going about their business before that and everything was normal and it was just a regular career, now it's a cursed career. Now it's a cursed career. Now we're saying all woodcutters and all water carriers are cursed because only the... Enemies are supposed to do that. And these guys come in and they live among that. And later on we see that the Gibeonites became a problem for Israel. What have you allowed to let live in your life? What have you compromised on? What have you said? You know what? I don't want God to feel that you know I'm not being loving. Uh, God to feel that I'm not. And, and, and the oath, the commitment I made to Jesus—that I will forgive, that I will love, that I'll be tolerant—I don't want God to get upset with that. So let me just allow them. Let me let them live. Hmm. Second John chapter seven, verse and uh, nine. Second John chapter seven, verse seven, verse eight, verse nine. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh. Deceivers have gone out into the world, they're saying that Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Verse 8, watch yourselves, watch yourselves, why? So that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Watch out so you don't lose out what God has for you because of the compromises you make. Watch out because God has plans for you. God has ministry for you. God has opportunities for you. And what you find is you get to that place where God is now ready to present that opportunity, present that ministry, present that change, present that blessing, and then you're not ready for it because you're in a sticky mess. So that you may not lose what I have worked for, but may win a full reward. I want you to note verse 9. Are you looking at it? Verse 9? Yes? Yes. Everyone who goes on ahead, anyone who makes progress, keeps going. Everyone who just carries on, but does not abide in the teachings of Christ, does not have God. Let there be no mistake about that. I'm going to do that again. I want to see whether you get it. Everyone who goes on ahead, carries on like as if life is going on, carries on like everything's normal, and does not abide, stay, live, dwell in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Okay, let's go back in case you've forgotten. There are three postures, three responses, three uh, reactions to the situation here. Joshua's plundering through the land. God seems to have given free reign to the Joshua and his army. And God seems to be blessing him. There are three postures. Number one, let's get together and let's fight this guy. Let's kill him. Let's, 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 go, let's ally. Number two is let's repent. Let's make peace with God. And let's make him our God. Rahab did that and she received grace. And the third option is let's pretend to have peace. Let's, let's appease his anger. Let's, make a, let's do some good things. We are here. We are your servants. The Gibeonites said to Joshua, we are here to serve you. We will be your servants, but your God will not be our God. It's called nominal Christianity. Where you make peace with God, you get your fire insurance, but the teachings of Christ you do not abide in. Strong word here from the scripture. It says, Don't be fooled. You are not of God. You do not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Okay, too serious. Let's move on. Is everything everybody okay? Is it too serious? Too much conviction? Move on. Okay, move on. Verse 22 to 25. We're done. Chapter 9 is done. G, uh, Joshua demands an explanation he's all cocky and all boss now suddenly he calls, he calls the Gibeonites he says I want an explanation why did you do this to me why did you deceive us then he says your servants were told the Lord your God commanded you to wipe us out so we feared for our lives because of you you're amazing you're great you're wow, wow Talia that is why we did this because of you Josh we're just so scared of you we're just so scared of your message we're scared of the edge of your sword so we did this so actually you know actually You're the hero here. So we're now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right. Areva. Areva. You know that they've already made an oath and that these Israelites can't go against their oath, otherwise, their God is going to slaughter them. You know that. So now you know the grace of God has got an upper hand on the anger of God. Are you with me? So the enemy is very, very subtle and he comes in. And you enjoy the grace of God without actually doing what God says. I want to close by asking two questions. What do you do with the anger of God? We've been thinking about this for the last couple of times, right? What do you do with the anger of God? And the second question is, what do you do with the grace of God? What do you do with the anger of God? What do you do with the grace of God? Let's look at these two and we'll close. While the vast majority want to fight against God, everybody wants to get together and fight him, everybody wants to take him on, everyone wants to take his, his wisdom on, question the faith, argue him away, decide they're more angry with him than he's angry with them and you can't get angry with God so you get angry with the church, you can't get angry with God so you get angry with people or even you deny the deity of Christ. But you fight God. It's a clear-out war against God. That's one posture. That's one response. The second res- response is peaceful coexistence. What do you do with the anger of God? Ooh, he's really angry. Ooh, he's really angry. Let's just make <coughs> peace. Okay, okay, fine. Okay, fine. I'll go to church. Are you happy now? Okay, okay, fine. Okay, fine. I'll give. I'll give uh, something. Let me see. Let me see. What, what I'll give. And you make peace. You barter you negotiate peaceful coexistence without submission to him we will be your servants but your god will not be our god and the third response is a full membership in the new covenant through his blood and spiritual rebirth a uh, spiritual birth where you come under god's presence you come under god's blood christ's blood you come under his covenant and you say lord god you're angry with me And you have every right to be. Father God, would you have mercy on me? Rahab said that. And Rahab received mercy. Don't say God is an angry God. God's an angry God because he has every right to be angry with the sin of man. But the moment you come to him asking for mercy, the moment you appeal to him for his mercy, he forgets his anger and he turns from his anger and he shows mercy. Because God wants mercy. Hosea chapter 6. God desires mercy. He wants that everyone should be saved. He wants you to come back to him. He wants that your anger, his anger, should lead you back to him like a father who wants the best for you. So that th- though he was angry, he could quickly put it away and embrace you. And Let's look at a scripture here. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the son of God, let us hold fast our confession, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, did you get that, do you get that, that you have a God who totally sympathizes with you, he gets you, he understands what you're going through and he knows your mess we do not have a high priest who is unable but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin, look at verse 16, let's slow down, look at verse 16, let us then in fear and trembling draw near, amen no, what does it say in confidence let us then in confidence draw near to the throne of games to the throne of grace Grace. how do you respond to god's anger how do you deal with god's anger what do you do with god's anger the bible says come boldly come bold are you mad god is steaming mad god is angry and you're going to run in his direction at this point it's the smartest thing to do the smartest thing to do with an angry god is run in his direction because his word says he is a father that quickly puts away his anger his anger lasts his anger lasts just a moment but his mercy his grace lasts a lifetime let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace why that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need what do you do with the anger of god you appeal to him for his mercy and what do you find a Rahab story you find a redemption story What do you do with the grace of God? First, we trust our own wisdom. We get complacent. We get cocky. And then we don't seek God. And then we go for a period in our life where we can do very well without His wisdom because we're not accomplishing anything for Him anyway. Second, we disobey. We walk away from Him. Our hearts grow cold. And we don't follow through on God's plan. And then we compromise with the people whom we have let live. The situations that we have let live And then we find ourselves in a sticky mess. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, verse 21. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I have been crucified with Christ. And you know crucifixion is pretty final. You know that, right? It's not, after you're crucified, you don't get off and walk about, it's it, it's done. I have been crucified with Christ, which means Jeremy Dawson is dead. Well, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the question about what about me? What about my feelings? What about my own dreams? What about my ambitions? What about it? God is saying when you nail it to the cross, your life on earth is Christ's life through you. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. Look at the mirror. Flesh. The life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 21 is what I really want you to focus on. What do you do with the grace of God? So verse 21 says, I do not nullify the grace of God. I do not nullify the grace of God. I don't bring it to zero. I don't bring it to naught. I don't cancel out the grace of God by my compromise and my... I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose. If I could have gotten my righteousness by doing what is good Jesus would have died for no purpose. But the reason Jesus died... Listen very carefully, I want to really bring this home. The reason Jesus died, the purpose for which Jesus died is so that you can run into the arms of an angry God and find that he was angry with your sin that kept you from him and not angry with you. It's these compromised situations that keep you from enjoying the rest that God has given. God has situations. God has blessings. God has moments for you. God has communication to you. God has uh, ministry for you. God has uh, uh, divine... Uh, moments divine you know coordinated situations to bump into the right person at the right time bump into the right uh, opportunity at the right time to be be in the right place at the right time God has all these beautiful things lined up for you because he's trying to fulfill his purposes in you but you cannot find yourself either sensitive to what God is saying or where you are you're not able to worship you're not able to connect you're not able to hear the voice of God because over a period of time you have let them live I'm not telling you You have to tell yourself, I must tell myself, what are the things, who are the people, what are the situations I have let live in my life. That I found myself drifting away with an unbelieving heart from the living God. You cannot hear God's promises and feel his presence. You're not able to enjoy his people. You're not able to enjoy his provisions. You're not able to be happy. You're not able to be joyful. You're not able to enjoy the life that he has given to you. Abundant life, what abundant life. But God wants you to come boldly, confidently, and quickly. You may be stuck in something, but it will take God three seconds to get you out of there. God has a grace for your time of need.